0: fear. Fear is our biggest enemy. If you try something and it doesn't work, it is not a reflection of you or your character. Shake fear, cut it loose, bury it, set it on fire, and let yourself experience the thing that is inside of you that you know you want to do.
1: You're listening to Side Hustle Pro. A podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business and i'm your host nikaela matthews okome so let's get started this episode of side hustle pro is brought to you by heat free hair I received over 2,000 likes on my wedding photo and tons of DMs from people asking me about this hair. If you are one of the ladies who DM'd me, then you know that the hair that I was wearing during my wedding was from Heat Free Hair, My natural hair texture is somewhere between 4A and 4C. And this is the only brand that I trusted to blend perfectly with my own natural hair on that day. It blended seamlessly, lasted all night, and then I was able to rock it with a twist out on my mini moon the rest of the week. I have worn it countless times because it's so versatile. And to this day, I still get comments asking me about my wedding hair. Heat-free hair has wefted hair. They have clip-ins, drawstring ponytails for women with natural hair. And now... Heat Free is offering Side Hustle Pro listeners 15% off your first purchase when you use our code Side Hustle Pro at checkout. So, to take advantage of this offer, go to heatfreehair.com. That's heatfreehair.com and use code Side Hustle Pro. I'll be sure to place the promo code in the show notes. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. Today I am back with another Side Hustle Spotlight episode where I interview someone who is still side hustling as they grow their business. Now, I've interviewed a lot of side hustlers, but it's not often that I interview someone like today's guest, Lisa Brown Alexander, who is the founder and CEO of a 50 plus employee organization. That is her full time day job, so to speak. We often talk to side hustlers who are the employee, not to the CEO themselves. So I was very intrigued when I found out about Lisa's dual passions and occupations. And as a result, I just had to have her on the show. So we're going to talk to Lisa today. Lisa is the founder of Nonprofit HR, as well as the owner of Wellspring Manor and Spa. If you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen that I stayed at Wellspring Manor and Spa back in, I believe it was August, July, I can't remember, And I didn't really know much about the owners of the spa, much less that Lisa has a whole full-time job as a CEO. And when I found that out, I was very, very just inspired, motivated, fascinated. So a little bit more about Lisa's background. Lisa was driven to serve the often overlooked human resources needs for the social impact sector. And that is what first led her to found Nonprofit HR, the leading talent management firm in the country that works exclusively with the nonprofit sector. Today, fueled by the passion of 50-plus employees and consultants nationwide, the thriving company is helping many of the nation's most prominent nonprofit organizations get ahead through smart people management strategies. In the process, they're changing the way an entire sector thinks about talent and culture. In 2011, Lisa was even named one of Washington, D.C.'s top 25 minority business leaders by the Washington Business Journal. Now, at first glance, Nonprofit HR and the hospitality industry might not seem like they have anything in common, but Lisa has found a way to merge both of her worlds. And in today's episode, you will find out what led her to create the Wellspring Manor & Spa, even though she already had a booming career, and how she juggles being the boss at nonprofit HR and at Wellspring Manor & Spa. So let's get right into it. Welcome to the guest chair, Lisa.
0: Thank you so much, glad to be here.
1: Glad to have you. Um, So I already explained to everyone how I stayed at the wonderful Wellspring Manor and Spa and later learned that you actually have a whole nother job. (laughs) I do. But so amazed, I just had to have you in the guest chair to learn a little bit more. So I want to know what inspired your entrepreneurial leanings? Because not only did you found Wellspring, but then also your company, Nonprofit, HR. That's right. That's right. I think my my inspiration
0: came from my family. Um, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My dad, in particular, um, was an entrepreneur. He started out with a regular career like everyone else. And then later in life, he opened um, what was at the time one of Washington, D.C.'s only Jamaican bakeries called Brown's Caribbean Bakery. And it was a source of pride for me Um, But I think it was just built in my DNA as well to be entrepreneurial. I tried a number of things when I was younger and didn't like to
1: follow rules so much. So the two things went hand in hand. Okay, All right. Brown's Caribbean Bakery. Now, did you work there? Did you have a little restaurant time and ever explore that path?
0: You know what? I did. I worked there when I was a student at Howard because we were right up the street from Howard. And I worked there um, in between classes and after class and whenever I could get there to help my dad. Um, and so at one point, uh, my sisters and I and a couple of our cousins talked about taking the bakery over from my dad when he started to express an interest in retiring. That didn't quite work out, but um, uh, we certainly had the interest. So
1: after attending Howard, what was your initial career path? My initial career path was in business.
0: Um, so I pursued my degree in business at Howard and then got a job working for a consulting firm. And after that moved into the nonprofit sector, which was the entree for my business, nonprofit HR.
1: Mm-hmm. So when and why did you start nonprofit HR?
0: You know, I am all for doing things that other people haven't. And that has been kind of the recurring theme of my life. And so um, working in the nonprofit sector for a number of years, what I observed was there was a need for human resources consulting services in a way that was nonprofit centric, that demonstrated an understanding of the sector and its nuances. And I watched um, the need happen over and over again as I kind of moved up and through my career and said, you know what, I can do this. I can leverage and parlay the uh, HR experience that I had with my knowledge of this sector and create a firm that would respond specifically to the talent and culture needs of nonprofits. And, and that's what I did back in 2000.
1: Isn't that amazing? I find what you just said to be so interesting because anything you do starts with that. You know what, I can do that. I can do this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and what do you think it is that allowed you to have that moment? Because I think that's what's holding a lot of people back. For whatever reason, you just don't think you can do this. Like, who, me? of all people, but what, what do you think made you just have that connection? Cause your background was in business. It wasn't in yes. HR specifically, right?
0: It wasn't. I mean, when I was going to school, you couldn't get a degree in HR. I'm, okay. I'm a little bit older. So it wasn't, <laughs> uh, that wasn't an option. Um, so you got a general degree in business and or business management. And um, then you kind of fell into whatever your specific track was. And so, no, I didn't go into school with that in mind at all. What I, what I knew though was that I wanted to chart my own course I watched my family do it. I watched others and my you know, relatives do it. And I said, why not? So I, I probably should have had more fear than I did, <laughs> but I didn't. And that was probably a good thing in retrospect, right? That I didn't have fear because you're right. A lot of people talk themselves out of really wonderful ideas because they're afraid to fail. My mantra is, you know, be okay with failing, just fail fast. And when you fail fast, that means fall down, reassess, and quickly get back up and figure out what you're going to do next. Unfortunately, I I don't have failure to report with my nonprofit HR venture. We're now moving into our 20th year uh, with 50 employees around the country and um, servicing the needs of hundreds of nonprofits around the country. So it's been a very good journey through nonprofit HR.
1: Congratulations. But what was the experience like building an HR company and team from the ground up? I mean, you have 50 now, but I imagine when it was just you, how did you go about starting to grow this business?
0: I worked around the clock. I worked around the clock. I am not afraid to work, fortunately. Um, My family's Jamaican, so you can take it for whatever it's worth. (laughs) All of of the good stereotypes about Jamaicans having three jobs, I was one of those people. Um, And so I worked around the clock. I had my regular nine to five, um, and then I came home and worked away at my business plan and my business little by little. So I started taking on projects in the evenings as a way of just kind of building reputation, I did things for probably cheaper than I should have. But what it allowed me to do is establish myself and establish my reputation. And then I was very intentional about uh, being in front of and and in the same room as people who could make decisions to retain my services.
1: So you kind of took on -on one-on-one clients while you were still side hustling and then had enough of a (laughs) reputation to be able to launch your own firm.
0: That's right. And it took about three and a half years before I could give up the good corner office and rubber tree plant that I had. I actually had a really good job at the time and it was doing very well. And then I said, you know what, I really, this is where my passion was. I found it difficult to continue those super long days. And so um, I made the decision to leave that uh, job to pursue the consulting service full time.
1: That is what we're all about here. We are about working for as long as we need to in order to really build up a strong business on the side. So I love the fact that you did that. So now you've been the president and CEO for, you said 20 years? That's right, 20 years in January. In January, wow. Now, how do you delegate so that you can have a life outside of work? (laughs) Who says I have one? I I don't have a life outside of work. What is that? Is that a thing? into wellspring. I know that you were able to start a whole other business that is yes. successful and wonderful. So the first thing I need to know is what is your secret to building a team and being able to not be on call around the clock? Or are you? You know,
0: I'm not. No, and and it's taken. I would say probably it took about. 18 years, maybe 17 years to build a really solid team, um, maybe a little bit less, but but growing our, our size and our footprint has really helped. I've been able to bring on an outstanding leadership team who really um, manages a lot of the day-to-day. So my, my role has evolved from consultant on the ground with my own portfolio of clients to really being more focused on strategy, financial oversight, making sure our culture remains healthy, and keeping us out of trouble risk management. So that's really where my focus has shifted to. And that shift has allowed me to take on uh, and pursue other interests, right? So it was a a strategic move. It took time, took a lot of hard work, but um, I now have a fantastic team that allows me to pursue other things.
1: Okay. So what made you decide to open Wellspring Manor and Spa? Same formula
0: as nonprofit HR. I looked around the landscape of what was available and what was missing from my perspective as a consumer. And what I noted was that we, uh, people of color, we um, lament often about what isn't in our area and we find ourselves going to other places to get the amenities that we say we want close to home. And so my husband and I um, realized uh, after looking around that other than MGM National Harbor, we didn't have any kind of upscale accommodations or upscale destinations in Prince George's County. And yet we are, you know, as everyone says, one of the richest, wealthiest counties um, in the country for people of color. And what we wanted to do was combine a luxury experience with something that was reflective of our our culinary preferences, our entertainment preferences, our artistic preferences, and put that all into one place. So we went about the business of looking for a property in Prince George's County, and that was the challenge. Uh, We actually purchased something way down in the southern part of the county, beautiful kind of rural area, but it was just too far out and the land was going to take a lot of work. And then we stumbled upon the property where we are now. And what a blessing that was. I mean, it it was just sitting, waiting. It had been vacant for 10 years uh, when we purchased it. And it was ready uh, for some love and for a destination just like Wellspring.
1: Wow. Wait, so you actually purchased another property? We did. So we
0: are the proud owners of um, about five and a half acres of land. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> down in Aquasco, Maryland. And if you've never been to Aquasco, it's the very southern tip of Prince George's County. Very rural, very um, tranquil, uh, beautiful really. And, mm-hmm. and was gonna be an ideal backdrop for um, the kind of experience that we wanted to create. The challenge was the property we purchased needed a lot of work, infrastructure wise. Water, plumbing, sewage, the whole enchilada, electricity. And it just became too much to prep the land for building. And so we still have the land, but able to be used for what we had wanted. And so we, we started looking elsewhere. Wow, what a bummer. It was a bummer. But you know what? Um, it didn't have to derail the dream, right? A, a, right. A delay is not a, a derailment. It's not, it doesn't mean it, it can't happen. And so, uh, we, we just kept looking and, um, I was online one day looking for property just to see what I could find. And up pops Wellspring, the property where we are now in the middle of Upper Marlboro. And I was like, where is this? And I could not figure it out. I've lived in the area for 25 plus years, um, and just could not figure out where it was. I popped it in my GPS and off I went. And ended up actually passing it, not realizing (laughs) where it was. I I was mad because I figured I went on a wild goose chase. But as I was turning around to leave the street, I happened to look to my left. And there was the entrance for the property. And I drove up the driveway and the rest is history. I was completely, completely blown away um, and could not believe that that property was sitting where it was. I wow. instantly called my husband. I said, I don't know where you are, but you need to get here quick, fast and in a hurry. And we bought the property a few months later and and Wellspring is now a reality.
1: I am just so amazed by this story because as someone who, you know, I've had an episode with a real estate guru and it's still something that I'm working through the intimidation of it, you know, thinking of buying the wrong property just sounds like a night so much money to me, just so much money, but it was was an expensive mistake,
0: not one one we couldn't recover from. Right, Right, right. We didn't go too far um, over the top with the the purchase so that we wouldn't be able to recover. And when you, you know, when you're going to start a business, you have to say, how much can I afford to lose if this, if this, you know, tanks, right? Um, and, and so the initial investment in the property was not so overwhelming that I I would need to like sell my house or get on the, on the bread line. Um, it, it was, it was expensive, but not super expensive so that I couldn't recover. And so we, we just chalked it up to a bad decision.
1: It probably helped you when you saw the property that is now Wellspring, did you know immediately what to look for to make sure, okay, you know, let's check this plumbing, let's check this, let's check that, so that this property could definitely be the one.
0: That came after. What what first struck me was the majesty and the beauty of the property in its natural kind of neglected state, right? So keep in mind this property had not been occupied for 10 years. And yet, when we pulled onto that, when I pulled onto the grounds, I immediately felt a transformation. Like I immediately said, my breath was taken away. I, I felt, oh, you know, like because I wasn't expecting it. But just the natural beauty of the property immediately lent itself to what we were trying to do. The scale and scope, the architecture of the house that is well over 100 years old, the size of the property, seven acres plus the location, which, you know, we know location, 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 when you have a bricks and mortar business, it was centrally located. I didn't have to drive way down, you know, to Southern Prince George's County. So everything about that confluence of of facts was an amazing mixture. And there's no way I could have walked away from it. The good news is the house had great bones. And so we did go through the due diligence process of retaining an inspector and getting folks to come in to tell us um, you know what needed to be fixed, and fortunately, it was not insurmountable. It was all stuff that could be done where we could put our footprint on it and still retain the integrity of the house and the integrity of the architectural period that in which it was built
1: at the time at the time that you purchased the house, did you have a launch date in mind, or was it more like when we're done making this what we needed to be, then we'll think about launching?
0: Oh no, oh no, we were on the fast track, and i, I we put a stake in the ground. And said, we have, you know, eight months to get this place rehabbed and up and ready. Um, So we found the property in October. We purchased it in March and we opened in November. So, yeah, we knew what we were doing.
1: Oh, good. And why November? How did you go about setting your target launch date? We wanted to open before the end of the
0: calendar year in which we purchased the property. And so we were aggressive. Um, It was a bold move, but one that paid off. And um, we just knew that we didn't want to sit on the property for too long before making it viable.
1: And does your husband have a background in hospitality at all? Did you guys... (laughs) Did you guys do any kind of classes or anything before opening? So my husband is a
0: surety bond underwriter. It could not be any (laughs) further from hospitality than that. Like he, he's a numbers guy. He's an analyst by nature, all about the numbers and risk assessment, risk mitigation, like no, complete opposite. And of course, my background is in business. So neither of us came from hospitality. What we knew, however, was that we travel all over the world. We have friends just like us who travel all over the world, who love and appreciate a quality experience. And that's what we knew. Like we knew our names, that that was the formula for success, that the luxury market didn't reflect doesn't generally reflect people of color. And so that mixture of personal experience and knowledge with a sound business opportunity is what was the catalyst for Wellspring.
1: Putting on your business hat, putting on your marketing hat, how did you go about marketing Wellspring and getting those first visitors in?
0: Well, we continue to market Wellspring, right? So, you know, and and, and I know that any good business requires marketing all the time. So we haven't stopped. But what we did do was tap into our personal and professional networks. And then we got on social media where people like us, we know, hang out, right? Particularly Facebook. I know that Instagram is all about the rage, what people do. But my husband and I are from a little bit older demographics. So our crew was hanging out more on Facebook than than IG. Um, And so we really invested in pushing the word out through Facebook. We, you know, subsequently added Instagram. But Facebook was the first place we went. And we just tapped into our networks and said, this is what we're doing. Come on out. Um, We hosted a couple of um, open houses so that people could come and see what we were talking about. And then we tried to get some enthusiasm and, and excitement about the concept even before we opened the doors, right, to, to kind of build some um, energy and momentum.
1: And that worked. One thing I find interesting is this is an overall experience, like you said. And I haven't been to a ton of bed and breakfast. I think maybe this is my second that I visited. And okay. so I was just blown away by the different kind of pockets of Experiences you have. You have the art gallery. You have the spa. Did you launch with all of those layers, or did you build on the concept as you went along?
0: So we started out with the the luxury guest experience in the spa. That was part of the original plan. The art gallery was actually an addition that came after the planning of the business plan. Um, we met a gentleman by the name of Barry Blackman, who is an amazing curator. Just. Uh, fabulous um, connector of people in the arts and we met him and um, told him about our concept and he said you're missing art take advantage of this beautiful space to fill it with gorgeous art and it just made sense and so we layered that on as a third component to the experience Um, actually a fourth component because the food was really central too so, the, the guest experience, the food, the spa, and then the art gallery. And when you bring all of those together, it really creates a very rich experience and one that allows us to reflect kind of our culture in a number of different ways, right? Because we're, we're multi dimensional as a people, and the Wellspring experience is also multi dimensional.
1: How do you, you said you, your husband, and you both still have full-time jobs, right?
0: No, actually, my husband is now retired. Oh, good. Um, so, so yes, thank God. Um, I still run my business, um, but yes, he's retired now.
1: That said, how do you balance your full-time job and side hustle? Particularly, when do you have downtime? Because, the you know, I, I imagine your guests are primarily on the weekends. Yes, So your weekends are gone, aren't they? They are. They're shot. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what,
0: when you believe in what you're doing and you do what you love, it's not work. And so while I get tired, um, while I wish I I sometimes had a little more free time, the reward comes when someone walks onto the property and says, this is beautiful. Or they say, I've been looking for this my whole life. Or they write in our guest book and say, this experience was transformative. All of the work, all of the fatigue, all of the money, all of the stress just melts away every time somebody makes that kind of a comment. And so it makes it worth it, it's energizing, believe it or not, to um, watch people enjoy the experience. And so, you know, my self-care sometimes takes a back seat, although occasionally I do get to break away. And when I do, I'm very intentional about how I spend it, which is doing nothing. Right. Just kind of staying in bed or going to the spa or um, taking a vacation away or just enjoying some quiet time.
1: And so I I find a way to get it all in there. Okay, good. So you guys are able to take a vacation. Do you have to close Wellspring when you do that? We did. We
0: did. We closed for a week in in August and um, were able to take some time away or actually late July.
1: Okay. Another thing I wondered when I was there is just how do you um, predict and plan for occupancy and making sure that the place is utilized, especially during the week?
0: Well, that's a good question. And, and, and the hospitality business can be tricky. Um, it's very much subject to people's whims, their interests. And when you're in the luxury market, you are discretionary, right? It's not like the kind of hotel that you would go to because you just need a place to sleep. You're making a decision to come to Wellspring when you're looking for something nicer. And sometimes when you're looking for something nicer, you might say, oh, it can wait. It's not essential. And so it, it can be tricky um, to manage occupancy. We are in our first year. And so we have had times where things have been very quiet. That's when your creativity has to kick in. Um, And we've really tried to leverage all of the aspects of the property as a way of attracting different segments of the market. So we target both leisure travelers and business travelers. We also target business owners and nonprofits for our gallery space, which also doubles as an event space. And so we're not just targeting people who are traveling, we're also targeting people who are local, people who might be looking for a staycation or for a place to hold a board meeting. And the the diversity of that target audience allows us to um, utilize the space um, more than we would if we just targeted one segment.
1: Got it. And do you when you say target, are you talking about advertising on Facebook or or what specific? Let me start that over again. (laughs) When you're talking about targeting, how do you go about targeting these people? Is it through advertising, email campaigns or um, what have you? all of the above.
0: It's print advertising. It's advertising and select program booklets for uh, organizations that uh, fit our demographic. It's running ads on Facebook. It's posting social posts on a regular basis. It's everything. It's word of mouth. It's being present at events where folks that we think would enjoy the experience are hanging out.
1: And speaking of targeting people and you know I would be remiss if I didn't mention when I mentioned that real estate guru of course I was talking about Kendra Barnes and I found out about Wellspring through when she visited and she was sharing her experience on Instagram stories and I was like where is this place? (laughs) (laughs) I must (laughs) I must go to this place. So we're grateful for Kendra. We are grateful. How do you work in work in the word of mouth without putting pressure on guests to just get the word out? You know, the best
0: word of mouth comes from ensuring that guests have a wonderful experience. It's hard to keep a good thing to yourself, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you go somewhere and it's fabulous, you just naturally talk about it. So our goal is not really to to get people to talk about it. Our goal is to make sure that they have a wonderful experience so it becomes natural for them to share with other people. I just went to this great spot. I was treated like gold. You've got to check it out. That's what we want. So our focus is on making sure the guest
1: experience is top flight. And speaking of the guest experience, we touched on, you know, occupancy and the fluctuations. So how do you plan for the food experience? I know you have guest chefs that come in. How do you go about arranging that?
0: We do, we have a network of chefs um, that we use. All of them are local. All of them are are, are chefs of color. And we have continued to um, explore that network and find some really fabulous people. But in all honesty, we got started with a wonderful young woman by the name of Danielle. And Danielle was great at um, setting the bar for us. She was and is a highly talented emerging chef. And she helped us uh, set some menus and, and, and kind of set the, the culinary experience in such a way that we were able to continue. She since moved on. Um, she had some wonderful opportunities in front of her. But what it did was allow us to seek out other chefs who could uh, maintain that standard, right? So it's not just enough to have a good tasting meal. It needs to be beautifully presented. And so we pay attention to our serving utensils and, and the, and the place settings and the room or the space where we serve. We make sure that there's music playing, that the environment has fresh flowers and all of the things that can enhance your food experience and your, and your eating experience. And so that, that becomes memorable too. And then of course, I can't discount the powerful conversations that happen across the table. When absolute strangers come together. Yes. <laughs> and share things in common that they might not have really realized. I mean, when was the last time you went to a Mariana and had a conversation with someone across the dinner table? Never. <laughs> but at Wellspring, you can sit down with people who look like you or maybe people who don't and learn about them in a way that's relaxing and non-threatening. And we've we've seen some amazing conversations and really amazing friendships come out of that that evening experience.
1: I really enjoyed that as well. And it was unique. You're absolutely right. It was unique. At first it was like, oh, is this going to be awkward? But (laughs) it was actually a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Are there things now that you've, so it's been almost a year. Is that right? That's right. What? things do you plan on maybe changing or adding as you've had a chance to reflect on what's worked, what hasn't worked? Do people want more food, for example, like all throughout Mm -hmm. the day?
0: You know, we do get occasional requests for dinner and we can accommodate those requests on a one-off basis. There's a whole nother kind of operation that happens with dinner. And so it, it doesn't fit the business model financially or otherwise for us to offer dinner um on a regular basis but we certainly can do it on a one off. I think one of the things that we learned is that people like the familiar, right? So we can introduce new things but it needs to feel familiar. Both uh, food wise and event wise. We've had good success with things like pain and sips and with music themed events, right? So where we we've got live music, live entertainment, live jazz. Um, I'm not sure, for example, if folks would come out to, to listen to classical music or if they would if they would come out to eat food from a part of the world that maybe isn't as familiar to us as, as black folk. Right. So um, <laughs> we have to kind of know our boundaries. And we tried to push them a couple of times. For example, we hosted a Latin night where all of the music and the food was Brazilian inspired. Um, that actually went well. And we brought in a, a Latin dance teacher and it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I think what people relate to more are the things that they they are familiar with, like like jazz, right? So we have had good success with jazz music. We've had good success with you know upscale uh, but familiar food. So we're not sh- serving you know escargot and you know things that people won't eat. We're we're serving chicken and waffles and and really good omelets and, and quiche and things that are good but don't take people too far out of their comfort zone.
1: I'm glad you mentioned the business model because we have to get down to that as well because we know that you already talked about how much investment has gone in on the front end and not everyone makes money when they start their side hustle, especially in its first year. So talk to us more about the business model and what has been your experience with making money so far.
0: <laughs> so we haven't. Um, <laughs> it's really been an investment. And in our business and our financial projections, we knew that the first couple of years would operate at a loss. It, we, we knew that going in, and fortunately we're in a position where we could plan for that. Um, obviously, you try to mitigate financial loss wherever you can, but we knew that this was a new concept and for this area. And it would take a little bit of time for people to embrace the concept and really get us to a place of full, regular, consistent occupancy. So we knew that we'd have to ride those storms out. Fortunately, I still work. My husband was a, an excellent saver, and so we were able to set money aside to to kind of take us through this initial period. And you know, one of the reasons that so many businesses go under early is because of the lack of access to capital. So I recognize that and and, and respect that. Um, in, my, in my business at Nonprofit HR, I started out with very little overhead, so I didn't have to worry about it. But this business, Wellspring, is a high uh, kind of capital-intensive um, undertaking. But we planned for it, and, and we're riding that storm
1: how do you stay encouraged? Because I know for myself, when I have a, you know, as an entrepreneur, we're always looking at our books. When you have a month where it seems like you're just not going to hit the targets you want to yeah. hit and you start getting a little uh, frustrated, not a little, a lot. And yeah. <laughs> you have to keep the bigger picture in mind, but it can be daunting. You start to question, is this, is this the right path? Does this make yeah. sense? How do you ride the mental storms?
0: You know, um, having, having, started a business myself before I'm I'm a, a consummate entrepreneur right so they I I'm okay for the the rough ride I can I can hang with it I think my husband as a risk averse person as a as a someone who is all about eliminating risk, it's been a harder walk for him. And I think, to be honest with you, it, we have to balance it as business partners. We're, we're husband and wife, but we're also business partners. And so where I'm inclined to say, we can try this, we can try that, he's sometimes inclined to say, hold on, let's pull back, let's balance. And I think it's a really good balance that we have. It allows us to to, to take calculated risk, but, but to not just kind of go off the the ranch. In terms of, you know, just making sure that we don't get discouraged, we have to look at the big picture. And we look around us and say, we are in kind of a mecca of folks with money who are looking for quality experiences. And we look around at other venues like the Salamander and the Ivy Hotel that are also owned by people of color, and we watch and see their success. And that allows us to keep going. Um, the Ivy Hotel is based in Baltimore. And when you think about Baltimore, you don't always think luxury, right? But it's an outstanding property in Baltimore City. And it really is a testament to what a quality experience can do for a brand. And it also enables you to understand that when you present a high quality experience, people will come. Their rates are significantly higher than ours, and yet they continue to attract guests and events and so we know it's possible. It just takes time and you have to be patient with the process. You have to be prepared to lose before you gain. Um, you can't go out and get those red bottom shoes with your first, you know, <laughs> you gotta put that money back in the bank and you've got to be, be be prepared to weather the storm. <laughs>
1: Thank you for those reminders, because I mean, it is definitely a period that I myself uh, go through all the time where I'm just have to remind myself of the bigger picture and not get scared, not get daunted. I love the fact that you can also shout out these other properties, but also recognize that there was still something missing and there was still a gap that you could fill and not be like, oh, this is already out here. Someone's already doing that. No, you saw the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. And you know, Prince George's County is a beautiful county. It's gorgeous, Prince George's. I really believe it. And I think we have to tell the story differently than we have been. You know, there's a lot of what Prince George's County doesn't have. But what it has in our case is a new luxury destination that guests can enjoy without having to go far away. And we need to celebrate that. Not only Wellspring, but every business that commits itself to creating a a quality experience for its patrons. Um, And I I, believe strongly in supporting other businesses. So as part of our business model, we source wherever we can from local businesses and businesses that are um, owned by people of color.
1: And what's your ultimate goal as far as, is this something you guys want to do multiple properties? Is this something that you're just hoping to scale within PG County? You know, um, I'm a sucker for punishment, so I could, I could see
0: myself doing this again in another location. Um, I think our immediate goal is to become the preferred luxury destination for travelers looking for a high-quality, intimate experience in Prince George's County. Ultimately, the model is definitely replicable, right? So we could take this formula and drop it into another place either in the region or in the country, or maybe even outside of the country and do it again. So it's, it's definitely not something that needs to be a one and done, but we're gonna pace ourselves.
1: Before we get into the lightning round, I just have to ask, as someone who is the president and CEO, you know, I'm used to talking to employees who sometimes are tiptoeing around not wanting their employers to find out that they have a side hustle, mm-hmm. but someone who stands as the model, sets the example. And I think it's wonderful and that employers should not be terrified <laughs> when their right. employees have side hustles. What is your perspective on how someone can successfully have a side hustle while still being an awesome Player at their full time job.
0: Well, it it comes with dedication and focus. Um, you can pull it off as long as your work does not get compromised, right? On either end, either with your employer who's paying your your salary for your nine to five, or with your business, and that means a commitment to quality and not necessarily quantity. I'm a firm believer that what has been the recipe for my success at nonprofit HR and now with Wellspring is a commitment to quality. That means every time I touch your company or or, or, or touch my company, if you're a consumer, you're getting a consistent high quality experience. And I'm the employer who says, you know what, have your side hustle. I've got mine, you have yours, but just don't let your nine to five, your day job slip. However you need to make that work, don't let it slip. And then you can do whatever you want. I've got a number of people on my staff who have side hustles. I've got someone who's a chef, someone who's a graphic designer, someone who teaches yoga. Um, and so I'm okay with that as long as they can commit to doing good work at nonprofit HR and their side hustle at the same time.
1: Then we're yeah. all good after that, right? <laughs> all we're all good. We're all good. All right. So now let's get into the lightning round. You just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right. Number one, what's the first resource that you can think of that has helped you in your side hustle that you can share with the side hustle pro audience?
0: Oh, it's internal. It's internal. It's not a book. It's not a, you know, a, a, a webinar or a podcast. It's it's internal. It's
1: my grit and, and the fortitude that I learned from my family. Oh, love it. Number two, speaking of books, what has been the best business book or the best live event that you've attended this year?
0: I read a book called um, oh professional service it's it's a marketing oh I don't have the title it's a it's it's a book on marketing for professional services and it's it's like a really good class. I have highlighted more in that book than I I have not highlighted. It's a fantastic book and I wish I had the title and I don't.
1: We'll get the title you guys and we'll put it in the show notes, okay? Yes, yes, yes. Um number 3, who is a black woman side hustler that motivates you to keep going and why? Monique Greenwood,
0: I I respect her hustle. She um, is the owner of Aquaba Inns. She's got seven of them. She was the one who was on the own network. Um, I think her show was called Checked In or Checked Out. Um, And uh, she is a a B&B owner. She's the former editor for Essence. And she took her idea and ran with it and has not stopped. She's seven properties later. She um, has B&Bs all over the Northeast region. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for her game. She's 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 doing it and she's believing it in her goal and her dream. And she came from a very different space. She was an editor and now she's a a B legend.
1: Wow. And I just love that you keep shouting out. See, this just goes to show you can shout out and admire people in your lane and still do your thing. So Absolutely. shout out to Monique. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, number four, what would you say is a non-negotiable part of your day?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mental health um i I start every morning kind of just processing my day and i I give myself the space to think and to be and that's an important part of my mental health i i also happen to be a depression survivor um and so i am vigilant about my mental health that's a whole nother show but (laughs) i'm vigilant about my mental health
1: Oh, thank you for that. Um, That is a whole other show. And uh, especially as entrepreneurs and like we said, the ups and downs of feeling like, is this going to happen? Is this going to work? That's right. So finally, what is your parting advice for fellow side hustlers who may be feeling discouraged or stuck?
0: Ah, shake fear. Fear is our biggest enemy. If you try something and it doesn't work, it is not a reflection of you or your character. What it is, is a reflection of your willingness to try. Shake fear, cut it loose, stomp on it, bury it, set it on fire, and let yourself experience the thing that is inside of you that you know you wanna do. Don't discourage yourself from trying. What you try may actually work. Get out of your own way, step forward in faith, have a strong network of people around you, and believe that what is in you to be shared by others.
1: Yes, yes. That is the perfect note to end on. So finally, I will just say, where is the best place for people to connect with Wellspring after this interview?
0: I would say on social media, Facebook, Instagram, email, if you want to go that route too. I'm reachable at lisa at Wellspringmanor.com. And on Facebook, we're Wellspring Manor and Spa. Same thing with uh, Instagram. We're also on Twitter. um, If you want to check us out there, Uh, But reach out. Check out our website at wellspringmanor.com and do better than that. Make a decision to stay. Support a local Black business. We promise not to disappoint you.
1: Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for being in the guest chair, Lisa. Thank you. And there you have it, guys. Hey, hey, thanks for listening. Now, stay connected in between episodes by texting Side Hustle Pro to 44222. You'll get my weekly Six Bullet Saturday newsletters where I share what I'm up to, what I'm reading, my business tip of the week, and resources to help you grow your side hustle. And I'm working behind the scenes on some live events, which my email list will get access to first. So make sure you're in the loop. Text Side Hustle Pro to 44222 or visit sidehustlepro.co/sbs.